Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, listeners. We are in the midst of February, which just like goes by so fast. Well, it goes by, February goes by so fast. Like, I don't know if it's because it's a short month or it's because in this year's case, January felt like an entire year right, in right. the one month. Yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. I think we say it every year, but this year really felt like it. Well, I think we're seeing these shifts that aren't so subtle anymore and these trends. And we've been talking about eligibility this month and it's going to go into next month, you guys. Like we just can't fit it all in as we've been talking about not only the 13 eligibility categories, which we may kind of bundle together, but we have a returning guest today. And just in the little time that we had before recording when we were talking to her and just seeing these trends that not only we are seeing as attorneys, but she is seeing in her field as well. And it's this just trend of districts either outright denying IEPs when the child clearly has a disability that is yep. In their education um, or they're trying to exit kiddos out when there clearly still are needs and their disabilities are still impacting. So we got carried away with her the last time. Peggy Schaefer is back, everyone. <laughs> carried away. I'm ready to get carried away. Uh, so you know, we were just talking about, so Amanda and I have seen this trend of most recently in some of our cases where a child has struggled for a couple of years, parents have asked for an IEP evaluation start and the district says, yeah, there's some areas, but overall, no IEP. Is that a trend that you've been seeing recently as well? Yes. On top of that, I would say also the way I see them chipping away, especially at the rights of the people that I tend to work with who are more differently non-speaking is chipping away at, you know, one-to-one aids, right? So those are disappearing. Yep. On top of that, chipping away at, you know, services for alternative communication. So I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but there was an issue um, that had sort of stemmed from a specific approach where the American Speech and Hearing Association had some pretty strong feelings about, which, you know, is their prerogative. But by them making statements about the validity of certain approaches with communication, it's now given districts the right then to say, as with insurance as well, to say, Mm -hmm. we're not going to support that approach. Mm -hmm. Also seeing it from a professional sort of group coming out and advocating for basically giving the right to districts to say, hey, look, you don't have to support this if you don't want to. And in addition to that, as we were speaking earlier, Vicki, the very unfortunate and strange and upsetting things that parents are having to put in their IEPs to protect them, such as I will not allow staff or teachers to touch my child's face and move his head for him. Right. Yeah. Which basic human decency, keep our hands to ourselves. I think that's what my yeah. like toddler is being yeah. taught. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I have an IEP where the family right now is fighting to get language into the IEP about how the aide needs to use respectful language with the yeah. student. There you, go. there you go. Why? First of all, and right. second of all, we have districts that are denying things like this, which are, that doesn't cost them, like, 
it used to be the old age like cause that we used to say is like anything that costs the district a dime the district is going to fight it mm-hmm. but now we're seeing so much pushback across the board of stuff that doesn't even cost anything and mm-hmm. that's human decency i like it baffles my mind i had a frustrating IEP the other day where a district was trying to take away a kid's IEP where it's been working. Like all the progress the team was talking about was because of the services in the IEP. And they're basically trying to say, well, because she's doing fine, we can take it away. And it was after the meeting, this is like end of the day, I was just complaining to my husband about it. Cause I was so frustrated. And he was like, I don't understand. Like, why wouldn't they just want to help this mm-hmm. kid? And I'm like, Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. does this job exist? Why am I here? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it circles back around to what we talked about last time about the presumption of competence, which is everyone has the ability to learn, think, and understand. And mm-hmm. when we are taking away these rights, it is a civil right. As you guys know, it's a civil rights issue. Yeah. Now it's not so much about, I mean, it obviously is about money at the bottom of it. I understand that's a a huge factor. But now, now that you guys are bringing this up too, you're seeing that it is a choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I have to caution parents, hey, you're going to go to this IEP meeting. I know the teacher's been saying this stuff to you. She or he may not speak up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're just going to have to, (laughs) you know, acknowledge that while they understand that it feels yucky, they feel like their job is on the line, right? right. And so when yeah. we're asking these teams to try to put language, I get it. They're probably like, oh, this is a slippery slope. We don't want, but it's really not that big of a deal. I, I think sometimes you have a one person on the team that just like does not want to give an inch mm-hmm. and it makes the entire team feel really uncomfortable. And like, sometimes you'll see another person like, well, maybe we can say it this way. Like sometimes we're just arguing over semantics Yes. and as long as, and it's so insane to me because like, I get it. We're attorneys, one little word in a contract can make a big difference if it's and or, or right. Totally understand. But when we're saying this child needs to be able to go to the bathroom whenever they want. And just because the science teacher has a rule in that if you don't use your bathroom passes, then you get extra credit. Like that's not okay. This no, child no. needs to right. use the restroom, but then the child's getting a mixed signal of like, oh no, like I, the only way I can get extra credit is this. And like, when you're trying to have a conversation about it, like some of these teachers are just like, that's just the way it is. And it's like, what? Yeah. I mean, I, right before we recorded this, I just got off an IEP where we're talking about a number of accommodations and it just so happens that the teacher that the family has the most problems with was in this IEP. One of those scenarios where the teacher just doesn't get it, I think, doesn't get disabilities, doesn't, and I don't want to say it's just ignorance because in so many areas we see this across the country is that it is just a refusal to treat other Mm -hmm. people treat all kids Mm -hmm. with human decency like they are worthy of our support where we're talking about allowing the student to use to have one earbud and like the the kid is in the room and he's talking about how when he has one earbud and he has like ambient noise even Mm -hmm. if it's a teacher instruction he's telling us he's able to focus because then the things his mind doesn't wander and he doesn't think about all the bad things happening. Mm-hmm. Like, so the student is telling us this and the mom is saying, yes, we see this all the time. It helps him focus. It's not about multitasking. And the teacher literally is 
rather than saying, oh, I completely understand that that's, that's, you know, that's unique to you. Like, okay, let's talk about it. The teacher goes, well, I mean, I have to deal with, like, I'm telling all the other students, you have to take your earbuds out. So what am I supposed to do? And I was about, I opened my mouth to speak at that moment because that's the typical example, right? You're talking about what, of how it affects you rather than the student and it's individualized, right? But luckily there was an administrator in there that said, well, this is an accommodation. And so basically like you just have to do it. And I appreciated that administrator because we don't often have those people in the meetings. So just be like, yeah, it's not that we don't care about what the teachers have to go through, but we're in this IEP, IEPs are individualized. We're trying to talk about, like this student really opened up to this team and shared how he was feeling. And all you care about is how you have to address the other students. Yeah. And you know, what you're hitting on for me and what popped into my head when you were bringing that story up is this idea, I think, and I believe I may have said this last time, but it's upside down. So now you guys, myself, the professionals who are coming in from the outside of the school districts, I'm sorry, but are far more educated in the science. Mm-hmm of what these children and humans, by the way, need. I'm a French hornist by training. The way I used to practice French horn, because I'm also on the spectrum in ADHD, is I would listen to music that was different than the music I was physically playing. Ah, interesting. And I did that to focus. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Mm. And there's science behind why Mm-hmm. Having ambient noise mm-hmm. or what would be considered flooding the system for some people is actually regulating for another. And so it, what frustrates me from a more scientific perspective is that they're talking about something without any evidence of proving otherwise. And we are right. coming in saying, no, let me show you the evidence, the scientific evidence that this is actual knowledge that is being used out in the world. And mm-hmm. they refuse it. They put their heads in the sand yep. and they don't follow through. Because they don't understand it. And it's like, that's one thing that's fine. But if, and uh, we say this all the time, especially like with ADHD kiddos, because it, it's the same accommodations. It's the same, mm-hmm. like, oh, they're going to have this guided studies class and it's going to be helpful. And it's just like, what are you going to do specifically for this child? I don't care what happens in the class because it's clearly not working. And I understand that if you don't have issues with impulsivity, with task initiation, with task completion, you're not going to understand that he or she is just not like just daydreaming, right? (laughs) It's like, they really need to be able to either have some type of coping mechanism, right? Or just some type of support so that they can eventually get there. We all have our phones. I yes. see all the time and I grab we my phone. Yeah. I have, have our reminders yeah. for the most mundane things. But I mean, I will I, tell you the most productive days that I am is I either either have music on in the background yes. or in some cases when I'm doing menial tasks, I have TV on the background because that's what helps me. I don't do well when everything is too quiet because, you know, and it's become more common, I think, especially in light of COVID for the workplace to be more accommodating, right? The idea that we've realized that we as a society, some, everyone needs different things from, you know, it used to be the biggest like accommodation was the people who got like the standing desks, right? Mm -hmm. Or like I talk about all the time how when I'm on the phone, I cannot sit down. I'm moving around if I'm on the phone. Like that's how I am, right? But we've learned that society and workplaces have become more flexible, Mm -hmm. but the schools have not. 
And in some ways they've become more inflexible. And whenever schools say something like, we're preparing these kids for the real world, are we? Well, I would argue no, because yeah. <laughs> because every brain is different and it's not yeah. a one size fits all that we're, yeah. we're aiming for. But unfortunately, you know, I mean, we can get into the weeds on the politics of it if, if you want, but that maybe that's another time, <laughs> but, you know, unions and things like this are very prolific in making yeah. it very difficult for the system to actually grow. And, you know, right. what's interesting and what I always kind of think back on maybe philosophically is like, hmm, does anybody else in this picture see a lot of autism in the adults? Mm. who are making these decisions, quote unquote, who are not flexible, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. who lack certain, um, you know, treatment modalities in their yep. own life to understand, oh, you're having a hard time with change, sir. <laughs> right, right. 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 And, and so we have to, the piece that I always try to like emphasize to people, I'm not saying that we need to go in and teach all these grownups what to do, but it provides you some insight to understand we're all walking around with different neurologies. And sometimes just because you can fake it better doesn't mean it's not there. And unfortunately, these humans, these people who are in this situation and, you know, administration or whatever, making IEP decisions, they are lacking the flexibility to understand that. But they don't have to be flexible because the system doesn't require them to be. Right. They can hide out in it, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, teachers who have been teachers for 20 plus years, whether they're tenured or not, are not required to do much training in education. And how much has the science grown in just the last few years, let alone 10, 20 years? I mean, like we as attorneys are required to do 25 hours of continuing education. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it's every three years. So Mm -hmm. we could argue, is that enough? But we're required to do it on areas of law that like really don't have anything to do with our day-to-day so maybe that's not even really a good example but the amount that teachers are required to do in some cases is very minimal if if that and supervision and supervision that's what I always ask how many times are the principals and their admins really going in and observing them yeah really I mean I think back to my high school years where I was more awake to you know life etc I don't ever remember seeing a principal or anyone coming into the class. No, I know. No, we would think that would be weird. Like, oh, are they coming in because they're trying to get a student? It would never have to do anything with the teacher. That's right. And we're self-employed, right? So we could probably argue the same, like we don't have to. But I mean, we have parents who are supervising us and calling us accountable. And we listen. Well, if you're an ethical person, you listen to them. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, this is why we have our podcast is that we're mm-hmm. continuing learning. We have people mm-hmm. like you on who educate us. We unfortunately, we fortunately don't have to sit and like go through the weeds and reading articles because yeah. that's just not always helpful for us. We are practical learners. We learn from doing And that's helpful for us. And so I don't get why there's not. And I mean, I'm not a teacher, so I don't know what resources are out there for like teachers to do it on their own. Obviously, it's tough for teachers to have to do more things on their own and and pay for it themselves. But I do see teachers that do that, that go above and beyond, that are really Mm -hmm. learning. And I think we saw in COVID a lot more people, teachers and school psychologists and therapists and 
speech therapists that have like created pages on Instagram. And I think people are learning a lot from that, but that's probably the exception, not the rule. Right. And I have a few friends who are public school teachers. We'll have discussions like this and you know, a lot of them, not that it's an excuse. Okay. I don't want to excuse for lack of a better term, some like, you know, laziness on some people's part, but, and also just outright discrimination, but the system also wears the teachers down. Yeah. You know, and as much as it wears it down on the families, and I'm not saying that the families don't have it better or worse, but the teachers themselves are also worn down by having to meet certain requirements in certain ways. And, you know, I'm not excusing that, but I am saying that that is, I've met a lot of teachers who I can tell started out, you know, bushy eyed, like, yeah, it's okay. We're going to do this. But over time, it just starts to break down because they're maybe their supervisor or their principal won't align with them about a certain issue. Mm-hmm. And, and so then they feel powerless. It's, right. It's top down. That's I right. I have had principals right. that may have come from a special education background, maybe not, but they have just, I don't know, basic human decency, right? In recognizing the child as a person. And those teams act completely different. They do. They act completely different. But then when you have somebody that really doesn't understand, and that was an IEP meeting that I was in just the other day. She wanted to, like, they put hands on the child. He's like in the fifth grade. He was done. Like, you know, I would be done too. And I was trying to explain it to this principal because she's like, well, he's going to come back and he's going to do an in-house suspension. And it's like, okay, he's already been out because mom has kept him out because hands were put on him. And he himself said they should never put hands on me, which I agree, right? You know, he was having some behaviors and yes, you know, he's throwing papers, you know, and things like that. But it was just really interesting to see because this principal who's new to the school just really wanted to make, and she was just like, we've handled this and you know, he doesn't need to be treated differently. And I was like, I can totally understand that. But at the end of the day, this is his IEP. We are talking about his unique needs with ADHD and impulsivity. And I'm just not sure how you wanting to punish him with an in-house suspension Um, where he's just going to what, just look at the wall. Like, and it was so funny because then of course, like the admins wanted to have like a separate meeting with me and mom. And they just, they created this beautiful, like just re-entry plan where, you know, he's going to come in, he's going to, we're going to get him reacclimated with this being a safe and calm environment. Now, will it work? I mean, on paper, it looks beautiful. Implementation is always where it just Uh works. So, you know, maybe I'll come back with an update, but, you know, I appreciated that they recognized that this principal, like she just did not get it. She wanted to punish him. And it's like, do you even know why he started this? Like, why did he have this behavioral outburst? And she just couldn't even That's right. end it. And, and That's it was right. awful. It was awful. You know, it, it just, it breaks my heart for these kiddos. Well, and it circles back to what we talked about before, right? Where it's like impulsivity is looked as a behavior. It's persona, it's person, what's the word? They give a personality trait to it, you know? And unfortunately the the child's needs and also by punishing and shaming a child, it does not work guys. No, Um, not in the long-term picture. It doesn't work. (laughs) It'll get you your immediate result out of fear. Exactly. But it will not in the long run create the change you're looking for. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about this and, you know, you see it all the time in like the circles of like gentle parenting and trying to stay away from, you know, discipline and, 
we forget that like discipline is such a root of education mm-hmm. for, it has been for so long right. and you know even though in many states we've gone away from corporal punishment unfortunately there are some states where it's not as clear but a lot of people I think think well we've gone away from that we don't hit kids so like there's no real discipline but mm-hmm. we forget that the words we use with kids and the way that we talk to them is just as bad sometimes if not yeah. worse Absolutely. And this kind of circles back to that same story I was telling you, Vicki, earlier about um, the, the 10-year-old and his IEP and reading his IEP and, and, his and assessing IEP. it himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and being able to, you know, advocate for himself. And what you're hitting on for me is this idea of, I'm trying to find a way of putting it. So the punishment and the discipline creates a pattern where you're creating a negative feedback loop, essentially, right? From a scientific mm-hmm. standpoint, you're creating a ne- negative feedback. The same thing goes in social aspects as well. So for instance, this same child I'm talking about was told that he had to dress like a friend, right? So they had to dress like a friend and write an essay about a friend. And do you okay. know what this poor child's response was? I don't have a friend. <gasps> okay. And this is in public school. Wow. And he went home and he told his mom, type to his mom, I'm not writing this because I don't have a friend. Okay. And so we are doing these sort of social shaming, quote unquote, you know, fun days. Yeah. Right. And it's all veiled as this. It's the same thing for neurotypical kids in high school, you know, wear your college sweatshirt day. It's the same idea. Well, what if you're not going to college? Right. But why does that matter? Why is this an indication of success? But you know what? It's this like, Oh, but this is how we've always done it. And exactly. We don't want to make it all for everybody. We just want it to be how it was because I have a client that they had a a Down syndrome awareness day, Mm -hmm. like the student league did or whatever, the ASB, and they did not talk to any of the like five or six students in the middle school campus that have Down syndrome. They just were like, we're just going to have a Down syndrome awareness day. I think mom had mentioned that they had showed up like 10 minutes before the lunch period because they were going to be passing out bracelets. And they showed up to one of the special day classes and was like, oh, do you want to come out and like pass out these bracelets? Like they're not a mascot. No, you did not ask any of them what would be a cool way to provide, you know, awareness you literally just came to them in the ninth hour and at, like not even thinking about them at all <laughs> in passing and said, do you want to come and pa-? like, and I get it. There's students, but you have adults that are around these students that are talking to you about these days and what we're going to do. And people just don't, I don't know that it's not that they don't think they're just like not aware. It's just like, they're not at that frequency and that's right. We saw that with the pandemic, right? Yes. People not wanting to do X, Y, and Z for the betterment of mm-hmm. all. It mm-hmm. was sad and terrifying. Well, and I think because in schools, when schools talk about, or even like when we were kids, we talk about like community service or supporting others. So many people I think are taught of like, well, let's do this community service because it'll look good on your college applications. And we never, a lot of people are never really taught that 
the concept of like doing good for others, not for your own selfish reasons. Like I grew up doing a lot of community service. I was in the Girl Scouts. Like that was a very big part of my childhood. And it was very different than like when I got to high school, seeing people like doing community service because it would help their college applications. And I think that's the group, right? That are the teachers now that they never, and I'm not saying everyone, of course, but a lot of people, it was thought of as like, you're doing something for others because it benefits yourself rather than realizing that like, I mean, yes, of course, doing good for other people makes you feel good. And so you are going to get something, but that extrinsic um, reward or benefit from it, I think not enough people really were taught Mm -hmm. differently. And then these are the people who are the teachers now and are the principals. And so it's that, what we were just talking about, this is how it's always been done. Yeah. And the pendulum and discrimination, I kind of call it like the pity versus discrimination. You know, it's like you can, it swings back and forth. So you can have a pity approach to it, or you can just be scared of it, don't know what to do or be angry about it and not treat them with respect. Mm -hmm. What we're asking for is that gray area to explore and to say, Hmm, I don't know. You know, there's, there's many times when families will ask me things And as a professional, my due diligence and my best practices is if I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah. And I think a lot of teachers don't know. Yes. So why don't you just say, I don't know and and, and allow, (laughs) allow for some help. Uh, Exactly. Allow for some help. I just had that conversation with a client earlier today where I was like, I don't think that this teacher knows. Yeah. And Instead of just telling you that, I don't know why she didn't go to your book this morning. She's like, just trying to like throw all this other yes. stuff. And, and it's like, right. it's okay if you like, she thinks that she may be admitting something or something. Right. Right? Like, right. And, and it's like, that's not the point. <laughs> Let's communicate. Right. We need to have effective communication. Right. And I think that that's why I'm, we appreciate you because you go in and you, <laughs> you try to provide it. <laughs> In the best packaged way. And it just, it falls on its face sometimes. It does. It does. And that's why we build our tiny little army off to the side here and just keep growing. And, you know, in my experience too, unfortunately in these systems that may or may not work for certain people, they choose to stay in or they choose to leave. And a lot of people choose to leave for that reason. But the children are the ones who show these people. The children are the ones who show them who teach the adults. And right. you have to have adults willing and able to let the children teach them. Yeah. 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 I think we should just end it with that. That yeah. was beautifully said. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Children know a lot more than adults think. They absolutely yeah. do. We yeah. really appreciate you coming on again. I'm sure we'll have you even more again for in the future because we have such wonderful conversations with you. And I think your perspective is just so helpful for our listeners. So thank you so much for being here again. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Peggy. All right, listeners, we will continue our eligibility discussions next week. Bye. 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 Bye.